turn our impossibilities into his possibilities, our uncertainties into his certainties, our disappointments into divine appointments. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I sense the Holy Spirit is saying some of us are yoked to uncertainty. Some of us are yoked to sickness. Some of us are yoked to doubt. Some of us are yoked to the lie that you haven't got enough faith. Some of us are yoked to disappointments. Some of us are yoked to oppression. Some of us are yoked to hopelessness. You can't take Jesus' yoke upon you until we first get rid of those yokes that I've just spoken out that we're yoked to. So please go with the flow on this and I'm just going to pray. So Father, we break off the yoke of uncertainty and the lies of saying you haven't got enough faith. Fear, doubt, unbelief, heaviness, disappointment. Just release you now in Jesus' name from those yokes that have been around your neck for too long. This is the day where those yokes are going to come off you as you respond to my word. Because as you make up your mind to respond to my word, I will release my power for you to shake off those yokes. This is a new day for you. This is the day of your breakthrough today. So I urge you to shake off what you are yoked to that you now know that you are yoked to and you have been yoked to for a very long time. So respond to my word. Thank you, Mike. And as you show, throw off that old yoke, yoke yourself into Jesus. Let him be your guide, let him be your provider, let him be your mentor, let him be your life. The yoke of sickness. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Father. Yes. 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 Amen. Yes. Thank you, Father. There will be an opportunity at the end of our meeting for prayer. We have a well-drilled ministry team who are waiting to pray with you. And if you want to respond to that word about the yoke being broken and replaced, then by all means take the opportunity before you leave. And there will be other uh, issues, no doubt, that will rise up. I'd like to invite Sheila and Mike to come up, please, so that we can pray for you and bless you. Come, Sheila, we'll bless you too. Uh, Pray for you both as you come to minister to us this morning. 
Father, we are grateful that we live in a country where we can meet to worship and to hear your word. Thank you that you've given us your word in so many different translations. The important thing is, Father, we want to hear you speaking. And we ask you that in, as Sheila brings your word and as Mike brings your word, you will release through them the words you've given to them by your spirit, that we will hear the word of God, the voice of God, for ourselves this morning to encourage, to build up, to strengthen and to help so Father we ask that you will bless Mike and bless Sheila as they bring your word that we will receive them as servants of God speaking the very words of God to us and we bless you as we submit ourselves to listen and to learn in the name of Jesus Amen Right, Mike, you're going first, I hear. Okay. Morning, everybody. It's lovely to speak to real people, you know. I only give talks to lawyers, usually. But it's lovely. Um, Talking about grace. I'm talking about grace, and Sheila's talking about empowerment, right? And they seem to be contradictory terms in a funny sort of way, because grace is all about God giving you something. You being receiving. You being on the receiving end. And empowerment is us standing up and doing something. So gracing empowerment are sort of contradictory in a funny sort of way. And I've discovered in my life that the more I work at something, the better it gets. But you know what? God opens the doors. That's what I've discovered. Um... I'm one of these people who wants to make things happen and I work hard at making things happen and I've come to stages where I know it's just not working and miraculously, God has made it happen for me. All right? So the grace is there. The empowerment is God's given me the abilities and the grace has come when God has just made it happen. I've had some miracles, particularly in my career, where God has just dropped these things into my life just out of heaven. Sheila explained to me that um, I mustn't go on too long because you will get bored. That's what she said. She did. She said, don't do it. Don't do it too long. Um, She said, keep it shortish. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you some stories. All right. So know your attention span is low. Sheila explained. All right. So I'm going to tell you some stories. Okay, the first story is, is like the, um, is the starter story. It's treated like the onion bhaji to your chicken bunner. The bunner is coming later. Right? This is the onion bhaji story. I don't know if you know me, but I've got a few careers. I, I've, I've got a couple of careers. And my main career, which I've been working on for a long, long time, is I want to I join a rock band. Right? <laughs> and, um, and I've got this, this thing, I'm working on this, this career thing. I am a rock star inside, and I'm still working. You're right there. I'm still working on it, right? I know this, my guitar playing isn't brilliant. I, I need a few, <laughs> Rain is nodding, that's my son. Great guitar player. My guitar playing needs work, right? My singing is okay. Perhaps I need a few lessons on the singing. But what I've got is star quality. I've got the rock persona already and I'm focusing on that for the time being, right? But one thing I want to say to you is this. I had this CD 
called 25 Guitar Tracks. And uh, it's fantastic. What you do is you put the, the, the CD on and you rock away to it and it teaches you. 25 Guitar Tracks. Top Tracks, I call it. Top Tracks. And um, I remember one Christmas, I don't know if you remember, I did a rap, a little rap, a Christmas rap. In my family, the Masons did this rap. Uh, Raina was uh, dressed up as Joseph, yeah? Elliot was the angel Gabriel. My daughter was Mary. My lovely wife, Jo, was the narrator, and I was the rap artist. And we all had a little rap, and it's fantastic. And uh, we used top tracks for this rap. And I remember it. I remember it. It went like this. Something like, um, it went like this. This story began 2,000 years ago about a girl called Mary and a guy called Joe. These two things were much in love. It was a marriage made in heaven above. I can't remember the rest. But... <laughs> Star quality. Do you see what I'm saying? But you know what? That was track four from Top Tracks. Track four. This is my story. I came down one morning early to put on track four. And I opened the door to the living room. And Top Tracks was lying on the floor in three pieces. Somebody had smashed Top Tracks. Right? Everybody's in bed. It's in three pieces. I cannot believe my eyes here. I saw my rock career take a tumble. It's really... It's really sad, actually. I've since recovered. My rock career has since recovered. But track four, top tracks, was gone. And I looked around the room and I saw my dog, Paddy, in his basket, little Westy, sitting in his basket looking guilty. Paddy had snuffled top tracks out of the cassette and he chewed it. My dog had destroyed top tracks. It was like an attack from the enemy, right? Dogs, I don't understand why dogs would chew a CD. What do they chew, dogs? They chew, what do they chew? Bones, yeah, I didn't have a bone to hand. But they chew stuff like slippers, don't they? I don't have any slippers, I'm too rock and roll for slippers. But... They could have chewed slippers, but he chewed top tracks. So I took him aside. I laid top tracks on the floor. I said, look, Paddy, you've done this. And he looked very sad and nervous, and his little tail went underneath. And I put him in his basket, and I laid the top tracks in three pieces, and I walked past, and I just pointed like that. And he knew where he'd gone wrong. And I let him stew for half an hour. And I went back in the room, and after half an hour, I thought, he's only a dog, for goodness sake, what does he know? And I came in, and I picked up, I said, Pads, it's all right. Forget about top tracks. And, you know, instantaneously, he perked up. And he was happy again. And we've not had sore words about top tracks from this day forth. And what I'm saying, this is the starter story, all right? It's a pathetic story, isn't it, really? Let's be honest. It's rubbish. It's about a dog and a CD. But the point is this. Right? We just moved on. And that word Mike gave was so powerful. What I'm going to talk to you about today is moving on. Right? I've got a stronger story coming up in a moment. But the essential elements are still there. It's about sin. It's about forgiveness. It's about moving on and getting on with your life. And that's where grace comes in. And when we move on, empowerment comes. Okay, let's give you a bigger story. See if this thing works. 
Maestro, is it working? It's working. I'm going to talk to you now about the story of David. David is... I say to my, my kids, you want to read Samuel. Read about the story of David, because David gives you the track for your life so often. And David had so many troubles in his life. He was the anointed king. He had everything before him. But along the way of life's journey, he struggled with issues, with sin. He struggled with, you name it, he struggled with it. He is perfect exemplar for us, really. And I'm going to talk to you about where David fell from grace in a very mighty way. Because David's kingdom was built on righteousness. That's the old ethos of his kingdom. Some kingdoms are built on fear, oppression. David's kingdom was built not on those things, though people did fear him. People sensed he was the king and he could do whatever he wanted. But his kingdom was built on righteousness. But this is where he fell. 2 Samuel 11 talks about David. And one night, it says, David has a springtime apathy. And it says this, in the time, in spring, when the kings go off to a battle, it seems to be calendarized, these battles, I don't know why, something to do with the weather, right? He should have been there ahead of his troops fighting. He wasn't. He was in this malaise, this sort of twilight zone of just hanging around the, well, the, the palace, doing nothing. And David is on his palace rooftop and sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. Now, straight away, I get a sense of David as somebody who's lost his walk with God. Not perfectly, but he's disengaged with God. He's gone into this lacuna, this sort of lull in his life. He's not walking close with the Lord. So, he sees this lovely-looking woman and he says... He finds out, he says, look, find out who this lady is. And he, he discovers she's the wife of this chap called Uriah, the Hittite. Now at that point, David had a choice. He knew this was someone else's wife. Okay? Somebody walking close to the Lord wouldn't then venture into the adventure he ventured into. Right? He called her over. Now he, he, if he had been keeping track with the Lord keeping short distance between him and God, he would have not called her over. So David's in this lull, spiritual lull. He brings her over, has relations with her, and she concedes. Right? Now, he's in deep trouble. He panics. And then it gets worse. He brings Uriah over. And the honourable thing would be to say, Uriah, I've messed up here, mate. I'm so sorry. Let's sort this out. But he doesn't. He tries to trick Uriah in going back home to sleep with his wife. And then when the child is, con- the child is born, David can say, it's Uriah's child. Okay? This is how mighty he'd fallen as the king of righteousness conniving and scheming with this person. And this person turns out to be the most honourable soldier he's got. But even that doesn't prick his conscience because he carries on with his scheming. Uriah goes home and he doesn't sleep with his wife. He sleeps outside. He doesn't want to affect his performance in battle. So he calls him back in and he says, look, let's get drunk. He gets Uriah drunk, hoping he will go back and sleep with his wife. He doesn't. 
even when he's drunk, he decides to stay outside. And it gets worse. He says to Joab, this is David now, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. What a story. What a story from someone who is righteous to be conniving, scheming in this way. Right? And what's important is to notice when you read this, this, this chapter, there is no prick against his conscience whatsoever. It's not as if he's gone, hang on a minute, let's take five. He doesn't do that. He just carries on in this scheme. And then Uriah is killed. Bathsheba goes into mourning. Once the mourning period is over, David brings her to his house and she becomes his wife and a son is born. And everybody suspects or thinks it's David's son. So the deception carries on. And the deception would have carried on but for an intervention from God. David had, what David had done displeased the Lord. Now, 2 Samuel 12, this chap turns up on the scene. Nathan the prophet, he just turns up. And he tells him a story. And this is very psychologically powerful, the way he did it. He could have said to David, I tell you what, David, you've screwed up here. You've done this, you've done that, and you've done the other. He didn't do that. What he did was he appealed to David's sense of righteousness. He tells him a story. He says, look, there's this rich man who owns flocks of sheep and goodness knows what. And there's a poor man who owns one lamb. And this lamb to that poor man represents a daughter to him. He feeds him, he treats him like a child, it's a part of his family. Right? Now this is Nathan telling the story. And a traveller comes to town and the rich man entertains the traveller. And what he does, instead of giving him one of his flock, of his multitude of flocks, he takes the lamb from the poor man and gives it to the traveller. And David's sense of righteousness starts to rise. And he's absolutely smitten with this story and he says, my goodness, that is outrageous. I'm going to have that man killed and I'm going to take all his flocks from him. And then comes the crunch. Nathan says, by the way, that man is you. This is what David declares. And the shock, and it's amazing to me that David is shocked by this story, that the penny already hasn't dropped in his head to tell him how far removed from the hand of the Lord he's become. But it's as if his conscience has been seared. He's cut off from God. This is David cut off from God. But God intervenes. Nathan points out that this man was David and he says to him, this is Nathan, you are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. So that's the punishment or the reward for his sin he gets. There's also some other bits as well. He says the calamities will come upon you, David. And also your wives will be slept with by people close to you in full view. These things happened as well to him. All right? But, what does David do? He fasts and prays. But he doesn't fast and pray for forgiveness. He fasts and prays that God overturns the punishment he's declared on him. And he says, God, please, I want you not to let the child die. Please, I'm sorry. He was focused on the end result and not on his walk with God. That's where he's going wrong. But the child dies. But this is the important bit. 
what David's response was to all of this happening. And it says this, Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. And what Mike said today about the yoke, this is God, or David, deciding that that yoke, that shame, that grief, all these things that he'd caused, he would put behind him, because God had forgiven him. All right? That's a powerful thing. And this is where grace comes in, to know we've fallen. To know that through life, on occasions, we can be far from God, on occasions. Sometimes there's this underlying hum and buzz and current which says to us, you are not walking with God. You know what? You are not even matching other Christians here. And we have this sense of dread over us, sins we cannot overcome. God doesn't want that. God wants us to walk in grace, to keep close encounters with him. So then we sin. We don't do what David did, wait for months or even years in this twilight zone of not walking with God, but to keep short accounts with him. The Catholics, in a funny sort of way, had it right. Okay, when they had these, these uh, confession boxes. I'm not saying that's to- totally perfect. But what those confession boxes got people to do was to go and confess their sins on a regular basis. All right? Don't think I'm turning to a Catholic, but there's many great Catholics. But these people are confessing. We can enter into a sense of despair and hopelessness about our sin that we stop going before the Lord regularly and saying, Lord, help me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the grace of God comes to us. So what Mike said is so powerful. The yoke will be broken when we keep short accounts with the Lord. Not like what David did. After this time, David still suffered those calamities. But his life was restored. And I'll show you a psalm in a moment. How's my time doing? Are you feeling bored? Listen, this is a great book. Jamie Buckingham, What Eagle Saw. Have you read this? It's a fantastic book. It's very, very old, 25 years old or something like that. And, when, and the rest. And when you read it, it's a wonderful book. You think, wow, this is great. All about walking in the spirit and stuff. Great stuff. And then he comes upon a chapter. And he says this. He says, I was a pastor in a church. And I was having an affair with one of the parishioners. And I kept it quiet. This is what he says. And the elders brought me in for a discussion. And they accused me. And I told them lies. I covered up my pretend. I pretended nothing was happening. And time went on and the affair carried on. He was married, Jamie Buckingham. And the affair continued. And then the elders brought him back in because they found evidence, stark evidence of what he was doing. And they called him into a meeting and he ran away. And he left the church under a cloud. And he went to another church with his wife. And he kept it quiet. Didn't tell anybody what he'd done. And one morning he gets up to preach and he stands at the lectern. Big church, full of people. And on the lectern is a note. And it says to him, we want you to resign. Because we know about your past, which you've never disclosed to us. And that point, he just looked at it, looked at the people, and they all knew what he'd done. How bizarre is that? And he just walked away. And God crushed him in a way for his sin. 
And he says it in the book. It's not like he's hiding it. It's in the book. And he says from that day, God restored him and started to mould him into somebody real, somebody new. And this yoke, which Mike talked about, can be taken from us. This undercurrent of guilt can be removed from us. We can be restored, whatever has happened. Look at this. Finally, this is Psalm 51. This is what David wrote after this incident with Bathsheba. And I've, I've marked a few things. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is David's mea culpa. This is his coming before the world and saying, this is what I've done. This is me, the righteous so-called king. This is how far I've fallen. And then he says later, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Powerful, powerful words. From that point onwards, David was changed, renewed, restored. And I don't sense, and I don't read in the Psalms or Samuel or any of this stuff, where David falls again in this way. But God had renewed him. So hope is there for us all. Sins that we feel we'll never tackle, we'll never master. God brings us hope. And as I said in the beginning, the things that have fallen right for me have fallen into my lap from nowhere. Because it's the grace of God. Folks, I'm handing over now to my tag team partner, Sheila. Thank you. Well, I'm not a storyteller like Mike, so that's a hard act to follow, isn't it? The only thing I might be able to um, claim to surpass him on might be the visuals, which is rubbish for anyone listening online. So I'm going to talk to you about uh, empowerment. And, um, and, and Mike's given me a great introduction um, to that, really, a, a, a great way in there. And empower, empower really just means um, to authorize, to enable. So we're going to look at um, what we are authorized and enabled to do and how we, in turn, may then empower other people, which is, I think, an important part of what we seek to do in the church, in Lighthouse Church. So I'm going to look at a, a scripture, and um, it's, it comes in two places in the Bible. It comes first time in Jeremiah 31, and uh, verses 31 to 33, and then it's repeated in Hebrews, verses 8 to 12. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So 
Um, Mike told you about probably, you know, one of, one of the greatest few in the Old Testament. And yet, what we have far surpasses what King David had. It's like the Old Covenant is like a, a rule book without the power of salvation. It's a book of do's and don'ts that were aimed to point us towards salvation. It's powerful and indeed because salvation looks backwards as well as forwards, um, th then, then the grace was able to work for those who predated Jesus. But what Jeremiah saw, what he foresaw, was a new covenant, an investment of power within us. And, and maybe that's also a little bit to do with why David was able to wander away and uh, without his conscience being as seared as hopefully ours would be. Although we too can wander away and we can harden our hearts. But um, Jesus made it much easier for us to come into a different kind of relationship. And it is all about relationship when it comes down to it. And we read in Luke 22 verse 20 these, these very, very famous uh, words that we all know so well. After supper... He took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So what that's really telling us is that we are empowered through the blood of Jesus to live in right relationship with God. Without relationship, we have the Bible is a, a book of law. We can try hard, very hard, to do all that it says in there, but we are doomed to failure. It's only when we come into relationship with Jesus that we are empowered to live the kind of life he designed for us. So, what happens is we enter into relationship and we have a heart transformation. Sometimes the church has been guilty of only sharing a part gospel and, and only working towards getting people saved. But the moment of salvation is just the beginning of a glorious new story that goes on until the day we leave the earth. In John 7, verse 38, Jesus gave an amazing invitation. And he said, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of water will flow from his heart. And that's what Jesus has invited us to enter into, the kind of relationship where the power is actually inside of us, transforming our hearts so that we no longer have that same desire to please ourselves and to sin. 
And I too went to a psalm of David's. In uh, Psalm 17, verse 15, David says, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So the new covenant, which even David was looking forward to, was being transformed into God's likeness. So we are empowered to live a new life, a completely different kind of life. Now, I'm going to uh, take is my probably my key scripture really, the longest uh, scripture uh, from Colossians chapter 3. And verse 3 says, For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So this is what it means to put off the old yokes and take on the yoke of Jesus, which is an empowering yoke. And it goes on to say, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Another verse in that chapter said, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And it goes on from there to say, since God chose you to be his, um, the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Walking in forgiveness towards one another. That's what it's really all about. And this is, this is such a fundamental message that all of us get wrong at times Um, and no matter how well we know it God has to keep reminding us of it indeed even this weekend he's talked to me about an issue of forgiveness that goes back um, a long time over a long period of time and and, and, and challenged me, am I ready to actually walk in forgiveness? Because I'm not really walking in forgiveness in that area. And um, as I was journaling this morning, what he said to me is, if I've forgiven you, do you have the right 
to hold anyone else's sin against them. If I have mercy and compassion for you over the things that have taken you down wrong paths, do you have the right to judge others? And forgiveness, as I well know, isn't dependent upon another person putting things right. Because actually, there are many things that once they are done, cannot be put right. The thing is, when we forgive, we set ourselves free. And what he said to me was, you release um, greater blessing upon yourself as blockages are removed. The power of forgiveness is immense, but actually the consequences of unforgiveness are also immense. And, and he was reminding me, always choose forgiveness. Always be ready to release others from any debt towards you. As you make right choices in me, my grace will abound through you. Trust fully in me. I'll provide for you all that you ever need beyond anything you expect because my heart is always to bless. Be of the same heart and mind as me. Then you will live in freedom. That's the illustration of his yoke as opposed to the yoke of unrighteousness, which if we hold on to it, will bind us. So it's actually only through the relationship with Jesus that we are empowered to enter into a right relationship with others. So... um, it, it actually says in, in verse 17 of Colossians 3, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's the high calling, isn't it, that we all carry to be the representative of the Lord Jesus. So that means speaking and acting as a representative of the Lord Every day, wherever I am, it is a high calling. But as we heard, it's not impossible. Because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit within. Uh, And this fruit of living as Jesus would want us to, comes from one thing and one thing only. It comes from living close to Jesus. Drawing on his word as a road map. One of my favorite psalms is actually Psalm 119. It just happens to be the longest one in the Bible as well, but there is so much in there about the word of God. And as I have grown to know um, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit more and more intimately, I find I've fallen in love with the word of God more and more. And um, verse 11 of that psalm says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I could sing that to you, but my voice isn't as good as Mike, so I'm not going to (laughs) try. And and it is about hiding his word in our hearts so that it flows out of us in a living way. And just a little thought to share with you. If we are too busy to spend time daily with God, we're too busy. Because we'll be working from our own strength. 
And that's much less fruitful than working from his strength. So I wonder whether um, David, when he entered his um, springtime of apathy, whether he had been neglecting the word of God and he just let it, you know, slip away. And it's so easy when we do that to start doing things that are very unhelpful. Um, You probably know this, but seven days without prayer make one week Christian. So, um, you know, we've we've entered into a new covenant, a moving. It's a moving actually from contention and competition to unity and empowerment. In 1 John 4:18 it tells us that perfect love expels all fear. Now, our world is fueled with com- um, contention and competition. And we've seen that all too fully in the dreadful terrorist attacks in Paris this weekend. But on every level, even on a personal level, there's contention and competition and that is fueled by fear. Fear that I won't get my needs met. Fear that if other people succeed, it'll be at my cost. But love turns that on its head. Love creates security. When we are loved as young children by our parents, we develop a security when we know that we are loved. It comes from relationship. In the same way, when we enter into the family of God and we come to realize through the revelation of the Holy Spirit just how much he loves us, despite all the ridiculous things that we do and all the very wrong things that we have done, we come to a place of deep security. And by bringing security, love overcomes fear. You see, fear breeds control. So when we are trying to control other people, it's because we feel fear. There's a lack of trust. Unless I do it, it won't happen. Unless I do it my way, it won't happen right. And when other people are trying to control us, it's because they don't have the trust that actually it's going to be all right. God's going to work it all out. So what we want is empowerment rather than control. So in our church, we talk a lot, don't we, about the culture of honour. And that's about empowering other people. Getting to know God first and getting to know him really well, firsthand, and when we just become overwhelmed and overcome by his love, empowers us to live a new kind of life, which is no longer dominated by the selfishness of living um, for ourselves, but starts to be motivated by a desire to live for the benefit of others in worship to God. Because serving other people, looking after their interests, is a form of worship. Worship is much more than the wonderful times of singing uh, that we have here on, on a Sunday and on other days of the week. Worship, worshipping God, is living as Jesus lived 
That's the purest form of worship. Intimate relationship with him opens us up to relate in a deeper way with other people. And that's something that I've noticed in myself, that as I've got closer and closer to him, I, I've started to care more about what's happening in other people and about relating to other people and where maybe at times in the past you might find this hard to believe. I was actually in my own way quite a shy person. But, um, but the more that I am moved by my relationship with God, the more a desire arrives, arises in me to move out to other people. Now, um, I've been following through this year uh, a program. I, I try to read through the Bible um, every year, the whole Bible. And it's good to use different ways of doing this. So this year, I've been using um, the Bible in One Year plan, which is by Nicky Gumbel. And something that he wrote um, about Hebrews 8 um, just stood out to me. And he said, the new covenant is the basis of the new community into which God calls you. The new covenant is the answer to loneliness. The covenant is with God's people together and not solely with each person as individuals. We live in a very individualistic world. But he says the covenant is with God's people together, not solely with each person as individuals. The promises are all in the plural. You have the immense privilege of belonging to the new community of God's people. You know God personally. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit has come to live within you and given you a new heart. You're never alone. Um, quoting from... Isaiah 61, Jesus said, um, and this is in Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus has empowered uh, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, by filling us with the Holy Spirit, empowers us to do the same. So he empowers us to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives will be released, to cause the blind to see, and the lame to to rise up and walk, sick people to be healed, no longer bound by the yoke of sickness, the yoke of slavery. Uh, we are empowered to set them free because this is the time of the Lord's favour and we're seeing it and we're going to see it in much bigger ways. Um, John 14, verse 12 to 14, I tell you the truth, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, 
Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now that doesn't always mean, sadly, that it will happen instantly. But we can stand in faith. Like Avril was saying at the beginning of the service, God always answers prayer. He doesn't always answer it the way that we expect or we don't immediately see the outcomes. But he will do it. And it is about... Um, I, 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 was, um, I was thinking actually just the other... Uh, just probably last week or a few days ago about the, um, what we're trying to do as a church and the enormity of the um, challenge ahead of us in terms of getting at, um, land and our own building. And I felt that he said to me, there's no shortage in me. I've provided you for you throughout your life, and I'll provide for my church. My ways are too wonderful for you to understand. You won't know where the provision is coming from, other than it's coming from me. And you don't need to know the details. You only need to know that I'm your provider. The world is mine. I have authority over it all. I will direct my resources to where they are needed. Your part is to believe and pray. And then I thought, oh, actually, don't you mean pray and believe? And he said to me, believe and pray. Because he said, he, he used an illustration that was very real for me. When I minister healing, I need to believe first and then I pray with authority. If somebody comes to me and I don't really believe, I start praying in order to try and stir up belief. And it doesn't have the same authority and I don't see the healing. But when I believe and I pray with authority, more and more I'm seeing pe people's pain go and the, and the healing coming. And he said, that's why I say to you, believe and pray. Then when you pray, it's an expression of your trust. So, the culture of honour, I just want to end with a, a few thoughts here, are a complete lifestyle, and it's not just for in the church. Um, our life in God empowers us to live differently in the world. And God is an empowering God, and we really need to see our whole lives as service to him, whatever work we're doing. And um, so I thought I would give you an illustration as well. Um, um, I'm sort of coming to the later stages of my career now, um, retiring at Christmas from my current job, but still going to work part-time in another authority nearer to home. But something that, um, that some, an opportunity that fell into my lap, but I know it was divine calling and divine provision, way back and in the early days of being an educational psychologist, I was given an opportunity to develop a role for others and to empower them to, to, to make sure they got training and to make sure they had ongoing supervision and support to help children in schools. And we called them emotional literacy support assistants. So it was all about well-being and that got shortened to um, ELSA's. And then when I, I got a promotion into um, Hampshire, a much larger authority, 
um, Southampton where I started, um, I realised that this would need to be done in a different way. We couldn't have people going around from school to school. We needed to train the staff in schools. So I started uh, one year. It was 2003 to two, uh, over that winter into 2004. And I trained 14 people, one person from each of the primary schools in a small part of um, Hampshire. And in doing that, um, I demonstrated to my team that there was a model here that was really workable and powerful for us. And they agreed to come on board with me and the next year to train a further, you know, 65 or so people and, and, and share this with me. And meanwhile, another colleague said, but I want it in my area too. So we trained in that area too. And then I went all around Hampshire working with different the psychologists in the different areas. And, um, and, and this work grew. And now we have, um, this year we reached 700 ELSAs in 84% of Hampshire schools. But more than that, it's now in um, over 50 local authorities, maybe 55 or so local authorities across England and Wales. And actually it's also in Germany and Cyprus and Hong Kong. Um, and, and this is an example of empowerment in action because you will realize I couldn't possibly have done that one person couldn't possibly wouldn't have the manpower I have facilitated it but it was very clear to me from the beginning that this project needed to run if I was removed from the earth the next day so all along I had to work to um, empower others to be able to do it and I continue um, to do that and so when we w look beyond ourselves and see how God has empowered us and given us an opportunity and then we use those opportunities to empower others there can be much more fruit and, and um, I mean, uh, my current job, I've been um, a, um, a manager in the service and I've been leading a team of people. And in that leadership, always at the core for me has been the desire to look for the best, to look for the strengths in them, enable them to work to their strengths, empower them, build them up. It's not been about um, me establishing my position. I think it's about if you respect others, they'll follow you and they'll respect you. So uh, and, uh, those are just a couple of illustrations for me for which I don't take credit. I really have to say it's been the work of God that has opened my eyes and has empowered me and he wants to do that with all of us. And some of the things we do may have far-reaching um, impact and some of the things we do may have nearby impact. None is more valuable than the other. What is valuable is listening to God and doing what he gives us to do. So, um, really, everything that we do, we want it to be based on looking, drawing out the best in one another um, because we so are so valued by God that we don't need to build ourselves up, we can build other people up instead. And, and the final thing that I'll, I'll say, it's like a little trailer, coming soon to a venue near you. Um, and I just want to mention to you um, Bethel Sozo 
It's a prayer ministry that um, you, you, the ministry team um, has been working towards uh, for over a year now to incorporate these principles and um, some of us are incorporating them even in, in the prayer line. But there's been a lot of training, there's a lot of practice, there's been a huge commitment. But very soon we're going to be released to offer this prayer ministry in our church here. And why we like it is because it's about empowering others to hear directly from Father, Jesus and Holy Spirit for themselves. It's not about us making pronouncements. It's not even about us prophesying over people. It's about empowering them to hear it directly because when we hear from God, it sticks with us and it changes our hearts. So there's a little trailer and that's me done. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Sheila. I think we've had plenty of food for thought. <clears throat>